Hello? Okay, I'm just making sure it's working. Hi, thank you for coming to my talk on censorship. I'm very excited to be speaking with everyone. My name is Desiree, and I'm going to start out with giving you my thoughts on the topic, and then afterwards going into a question and answer session. So here's my story with censorship. In August of 2017, PayPal banned me. They didn't tell me why. They didn't give me any warning. And even though in the initial email that they had sent to me, it said that I could contact them and so resolve the issue, that was a total lie. I had woken up to an email that said that my account had been terminated, it might have said suspended, and that I had violated their acceptable use policy. So what do you do when you get an email like that? You go and you read their acceptable use policy and try to find out what you did. So I did that, but it was very vague, and I couldn't figure out what I had done wrong. And I knew that when I compared myself and the kind of work that I was doing to other people who were doing somewhat similar work, that I, my content was not any more extreme than theirs was. So when I saw that I couldn't figure out what was going on, I picked up the phone, and I called PayPal, and I said, hey, what did I do? And a very polite man on the phone let me know that he couldn't actually tell me what I had done wrong because I had to contact the acceptable use policy department directly and I could only do it via email because they didn't accept phone calls. And you can tell where this story is going. So then I emailed the acceptable use policy department and I didn't get a response. And so then I logged into my account and I sent a message there and I also didn't get a response. So I was in Jamaica at the time, which is where I'm from, and I was taking a break from everything, so I sort of ignored stuff. But then I kept getting these emails one by one, letting me know that so-and-so's subscription renewal can't be processed because your account has been terminated. And because this was a way in which I used to support my channel, which is a YouTube channel, which I'll get into in a minute, I started to panic and I was like, I have to do something about this. And so I decided to create a second PayPal account. I did that and that was fine for a while until I got my first one-time donation and it was canceled again. I never actually figured out what it is I had done wrong. I could try and guess what it is I had done wrong, but no one told me. And I sort of created a mini Twitter storm about it. And I know that PayPal knows who I am, at least PayPal support, because there were replies under my thread with other people complaining about PayPal and PayPal support responded to them and let them know, hey, we would love to help Help you, but they never responded to me, and that was under my thread, and I thought that was very, I've always thought that was funny, because I still haven't gotten a response. So you might be wondering what it is that I, this person talking to you from the stage, might have done to receive that kind of reaction from PayPal. So in March of 2017, I had started a YouTube channel, it's called Just Thinking Out Loud, and I started it because I felt a certain pressure to not speak my thoughts. This was the era of Trump being elected. It was early 2017, after 2016, when people started to be a lot more politically correct. And just to give you an idea of the things that I talk about on my channel, I hate identity politics. That's where it all started. And because of where I'm from, being an immigrant, I have a very different set of narratives that I've grown up with and uh, beliefs about certain topics. Uh, the most controversial thing I've ever spoken about is 
IQ differences between groups. I've made only two videos out of like 80 videos. So I'm only mentioning it. I don't like talking about it because that's, that was my guess as to what I had done wrong. I've recently talked about circumcision. I made a, an argument comparing uh, being vegan to going pro-life. And recently I did some videos on the VOD adpocalypse. So that's just to give you an idea of the kind of content that I talk about. And apart from PayPal banning me, this was also around the time that many creators were talking about censorship. And I had seen, and other people had seen their YouTube channel, their view counts dropping significantly because of their content not being ad friendly. So it started off with these tech companies where your content wasn't advertiser friendly, but that has slowly slid into people being outright banned. And they're not just being banned online. They're also being banned like when they're speaking in person like this and they want to have a private event, say protesters will show up and then they'll go and talk to the person who owns the, the venue that they're at and let them know that you need to get rid of these people because they're awful for whatever reason. So it's hard for people to keep communicating about things that they care about. And it's not just events and online, but it's also bank accounts. There are brick and mortar stores, I'm sorry, brick and mortar banks like Chase that I've heard of banning people. I've heard of Visa banning people. And I think we have to consider why is it that all of this censorship is happening around the same time. And I would say that we are in a time of great societal change. There's a lot of globalization occurring and also the technology that we use has made it so that we can communicate in a way that we never could before. And so people, yes, they are able to speak a bit more boldly, but they were also never able to speak directly to one another in the same way without having a certain narrative being shoved down their throats. So I think it's because of the technology that we have and also the change that's occurring. So people want to be able to talk to each other. I'm not sure what the best solution is to solve these problems, but it's not just an age of censorship that we're dealing with, but an age of viewpoint diversity, an age of ideas, and an age of choice in what kind of narratives that you want to listen to. And that's why censorship is happening at the same time. And we must make sure, in my opinion, and that's kind of what I'm here to ask you guys to do, to not lose that. Because even though we can take for granted the fact that I started my child because I was upset about something, and then I'm able to connect with people, realize enough people are interested in it, and then decide to come and talk to you. That might not have happened if it weren't for the technology that we have today. And so we have to be careful to not lose that. In the discussion, uh, in the discussion section, if you looked on the Hoover app that was talking about my talk, it asked the question, is it about free speech? Or is it about private companies being able to do what they want? And I wanted to answer that directly. I think it's about both. It is about private companies being able to do what they want, but at the same time, it's also about the future of our society because this, the private companies are the way in which we are talking about the future of our society. And I think something else we have to keep in mind is that private, these companies are private, but they 
ended up having dominant market share because they provided incentive to creators. For example, YouTube is at 90% market share currently. And initially, what they had done to attract creators to their platform was to offer advertisements to them. But then it's sort of like a bait and switch because now, even though we wanted you for your content and people are watching your content, now we're trying to curate and police your content. I don't know if the solutions that I'm about to tell to you will work, but I do have some ideas in how we can combat this. The first one that I would say is to use alternative platforms. Right now, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook have a lot of market share because people are deciding to use them. And there are different angles you can take. You can just jump onto another platform because it says that it's pro-free speech. And I'm a particularly big fan of Gab, who very recently, they just came up with their Decentral browser. I made a video on my channel recently talking about how hard it was to download the Gab app onto my phone. And I bring that up because even though people were saying, oh, well, if conservatives are upset about censorship, then they should go and create their own platforms. But people are still being stopped and hindered from creating their own platforms. You know, they're being, their developer account was just lost. I'm a big fan of Gab. Uh, I'm also a big fan of decentralized projects, which I think is the better route to go, not just go towards someone that says they are for a certain ideal, because even if right now you might feel like your ideas are being censored, in the future, just depending on who is in charge of a certain platform, I think that sort of authoritarian bent can tilt any, any direction. So I think it's important to focus on decentralization. I also work with a project. It's a privacy-focused cryptocurrency project. It's called Particle, and I'm wearing their shirt, and I want to mention them, because they're focused on creating a, a marketplace that's pair-to-pair. -pair. And they're coming out with the mainnet very soon, soon TM. So that's another thing. And other than uh, going for a decentralized or different alternative tech, another method that you could pursue is the legal method. I'm not a big fan of getting the government involved, and I would assume most of you here, because of the kind of uh, festival this is, also aren't. However, these platforms are currently benefiting from the law as it stands, and so I think we should probably try and use the law against them. If you're here at this talk, you probably already know about this, but I just want to go into the fact that YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, these huge platforms, they are not liable for the content that's on their platform under the Communications Decency Act, Section 230, even though I haven't actually read Section 230 myself. And so that means that someone can say something online or on their platform, and then that could result in someone being hurt, for example, but they won't be held liable for it. And the fact that they are now beginning to curate their content means that they are no longer acting as neutral platforms, which is why they have that protection under the law. So if we use the law against them, maybe they will consider, think twice in the future, because they will know, well, if we're going to be censoring people and banning people, then we are losing our protections. And there are different politicians that are talking about this. I think it's unfortunate that you have to say support a politician and not just the policy, but you can make your voice heard politically in that way. And another method with the legal method other than the Communications Decency Act is a breach of con contract. I'm not sure if this will actually fly in the courts of law, but there are people, lawyers I've heard argue that because they're 
terms are so vague, like with me, where I don't even actually know what I did, then you can't actually enter into a contract with them, and it's, it's as if they're breaching the contract because you don't actually know what you did. So I don't know if that will really work, but that's another method to go with. Another method that I would encourage is promoting critical thinking. I don't quite know how to do it, but when I think of the polarization that I see in society, I think people are more inclined to simply ban someone when they don't like what they're saying because they're not able to hold a different idea in their head and try and persuade someone to think differently and then be okay if that didn't happen. And perhaps I would say in the past, there were more debates. People were more willing to have debates rather than just cancel someone when they said the wrong thing on, on Twitter. That cancel culture is completely on Twitter. And I'm trying to stay out of that and that would be one way that I would recommend changing it because it does start with us individually. Related to this, I would say try to speak to people who are across the political aisle from you and remind them that their neighbor, even though their neighbor doesn't think like them, they're still right there and they interact with them all the time even though they don't know the thoughts that are going on in their heads. And then the final thing that I would mention is the support creators. Usually they have an ask and when you listen or read or watch their content because they can't monetize it in the same way that they used to, they ask you to independently support them. It's great if you can use crypto, but I think crypto isn't as advanced um, intuitively because of the user interface. Usually like, it's not at the same level as like PayPal. People just aren't used to it. So I don't think you necessarily, you necessarily have to go the crypto route, but that's another way that you can help people. So those are my solutions, and I'm definitely looking forward to hearing the questions you have or the solutions that you've come up with. And I just want to end with saying that we are in this age of censorship because we're also in an age of different viewpoints and choices and different ideas out there. And so we should not let that go away, even though you, you have to navigate very carefully things that people are worried about, but at the same time, not remove people's rights. So that's, those are my thoughts on it. And does anybody have questions? Because I would love to hear. Hello. Hi. Um, you should read section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. Okay, because, I will. Because it doesn't include what you think it includes. There is nothing in that law that makes it any different if a content, um, sorry, a, a content platform, a provider, what it says is, no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. So that first part is absolutely correct. They are not responsible for what you put onto their platform. You are not responsible for what somebody else puts on their platform. But the exercising editorial control, curating, having terms of service, moderating, kicking people off, all that stuff doesn't change any of it. They don't lose any rights. There's no amount of moderation that would take that protection away from them. That's why Senator Hawley has introduced a law to change that law because okay. he's mad about the fact that there is not a legal way to make YouTube do something because they took off what they consider to be objectionable, violates terms of service. They're just arbitrary, like, we don't like you. Um, that's just 
just so that you know what the law is, because I've seen there's a big push, and it's upsetting to me as a lawyer, for a lot of people to muddy the water and say words like publisher and platform. Publisher and platform are not even in that law. Those words don't exist in the text at all. It's not even a thing. It's totally made up um, as part of a rhetorical push to make platforms keep people that don't, that the platform doesn't want to keep. That's it. Okay. Could you, thank you, but could you also comment on what I said about breach of contract? Because oh. I'm not very clear on that. I would so like to learn. If, if your advertising agreement with YouTube said, you know, we can't, uh, in, in the event of a terms of service violation, we have to give you a hearing or there's a review board or whatever, or these are the things that can get you kicked off and that's the whole list, then if they kicked you off without giving you that process or you know, for something not on the list, then they would be in breach of their contract. This issue of whether or not it's vague, it was written vague for a reason. Most of those agreements have a term in it that says anything that would cause damage to the platform or in our judgment is something we don't want. And that's their kind of catch-all to say, eh, we don't know what rule you broke, but we kind of don't like it. They don't, and your damages for it would be mostly like you could either force them to let you back on or you could get maybe the loss of revenue for that video that they kicked off. But it's tough because they're big companies and they have a lot of lawyers. So there's not really any legal precedent to use to fight against these platforms is what you're saying as a lawyer. Yeah, well, and, and the problem is you don't want there to be. You think you want there to be because it's affecting, well, don't. people don't want there to be. Because if you had that ability where if a company says we're gonna get rid of like Nazis on our platform and the Nazis are all like no once you start singling people out and kicking them off now you're a publisher and now you don't get the protection what are you encouraging? You're encouraging them to have a platform where they don't clean up any of the trash and the truth is people go to Disney World because it's really pretty and clean and, and bright and cheerful and they don't go down to like you know, the warehouse district in, in downtown Seattle where like there's trash in the streets and people are peeing. People don't, this is the, the, the give and take on the internet, is people don't want a completely unmoderated platform because it turns into garbage. But people don't want a completely moderated platform because it's super, super boring. And so you have to, I think the alternative venues, you know, places like Gab, um, new platforms, one of the things a lot of people forget about the internet is it moves really fast and that these companies that, that will maybe bring in a lot of creators by having really favorable terms at the outset, when they start taking those terms away, you guys all leave and then another company comes up. But if you want to talk more about it, um, send me a MySpace or a Friendster uh, and we'll, we'll chit chat. All right, thank you. Okay. Um, I was going to ask a different question, but I heard, just heard a lot of disturbing things, including someone who has a MySpace and a Friendster. <laughs> wow. Um, so actually, uh, I think he's wrong, you're right. Um, so Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. Um, you actually, if you look at First Amendment law, um, there's a couple instances where they've said that um, uh, 
things that were said on a radio station, a radio station could be held liable because they have ability to edit, edit and censor, including even uh, a four second uh, delay on radio and said, well, you didn't drop the conversation and slander and defamation was uh, happened on your platform. So uh, your channel, therefore, that medium can be held liable. Um, so you're, you're absolutely right. Um, you're either a, the town square or you're uh, the New York Times. You're either a platform or you're a publisher. And I think a lot of these guys have been trying to um, uh, get away with being a platform when they're publishers, especially Facebook, because they actually um, take uh, they actually claim rights to the content, all of your images and all of that stuff, which means if they're taking rights to it, it's theirs, it's not a third party, and it's not covered under the Communications Decency Act. Um, it, and if I get to ask my other question, um, you can know. I just, can I just pause you just to, I wanted to say something when, when he was speaking. Well, I'm not sure because I'm not a lawyer about this little disagreement, but I did kind of want to push back on something that you had said, but didn't think I had the time. Um, when you were talking about Nazis on the platform, and even though I mentioned conservatives, there are people across the political aisle who are being censored, and sometimes it's not on purpose, sometimes it's due to the algorithms. And I, I just want to point out that it's not just extreme people, even though that's usually the argument that's used. I made, I made a post on Twitter recently for free speech and someone brought up Stormfront. You know, like that's like, they, they bring up something that most people like do not want to see, but those aren't the only kinds of people who are being affected. So I just wanted to say that. Um, and if I could hog the microphone, if that's okay. Um, so I, I really just wanted to say I appreciate you coming and, and speaking about this because I think it's the most critical uh, topic uh, facing libertarians and freedom because if we don't have free speech, if we can't um, go out there and talk about uh, problems, uh, we can't fight any of the other encroachments on our liberty. And uh, it, it shocks me that people who are supposed libertarians really uh, don't stand up for free speech and they say, oh, it's a private company, they can do what they want. And uh, I, if somebody says that, I think you should turn them around and immediately say, oh, so when a baker doesn't bake a cake for a gay couple, they're a private company and they can do what they want, right? And you'll find most of those people will say, no, that's different. They supported Gary Johnson saying, oh, you, sh you should have to bake the cake. Uh, so it's not done out of any libertarian moral principles. It's done out of you know, uh, people who are really just Decepticons who are social justice warriors in disguise. Thank you. The argument that I was making was that because they're already using the law to their benefit, we might as well use the law against, against them, because most people aren't libertarians, and we, we are existing under all these laws, so you might as well. That's, I know some, some of you probably would not agree with that, but... Yeah, I agree with you. Thanks. Thank you. So first, I want to thank everyone for braving the rain to, you know, stand up and dig our heels in for free speech. I mean, this, this is how we actually get it to happen. Um, there's one uh, tactic that no one seems to have mentioned, and I don't just know if it's no one knows about this, because the, the whole 
the whole argument is, well, they're a free, uh, they're a company. They're a private company. They're free to treat this this way. And that's partly true. But actually, so if you think about every level of government, every city, every state, the federal government, all of the different bureaucracies, every department, they all have uh, retirement funds. And those retirement funds pretty much exclusively keep their, their, uh, their savings in these blue chip stocks, these Fortune 500 companies. So, I mean, it might not even be a controlling interest, but it's certainly enough of a, a sway that uh, the, the government that's supposed to be like officially guarding our free speech actually does have a way of pulling this string without adding a new law, without uh, bringing them to court. Just, I mean, if we can get enough, uh, enough impetus that we could uh, make a new law or that we could drag them through the court system, then we would probably have enough that we could put pressure on, uh, on politicians to say, hey, you have to conform with the First Amendment or we will sell your stock. So just uh, something for people to think about for the uh, legal experts and what have you, so. Thank you, I never heard that before. So, um, one of the things, this isn't necessarily specifically have to do with censorship, but censorship is just one of the issues that deals with these really large tech companies, uh, you know, Facebook, Apple, uh, Google. It seems like uh, one of the issues where um, uh, Donald Trump and uh, Elizabeth Warren agree on is that these companies should be uh, broken up uh, under some sort of um, foolish antitrust uh, uh, violation. Um, and I say foolish as in the regulation itself is foolish, not that the company is foolish. but. Um, one of the things is uh, I found that um, regulation kind of um, causes more regulation to be built to fix the previous regulation. And then now we need more regulations to fix the previous regulations. So we build, for example, we have zoning laws. And because we have zoning laws, which cause uh, all sorts of um, problems with supply of housing, then we need rent controls on top of the zoning laws. It's just an example of, you know, we have one bad regulation. Now to fix that bad regulation, we need another bad regulation on top of it. So my concern with with this idea of breaking up these large tech companies um, as a solution to this problem and other problems is that instead of trying to find a regulation that can fix a previous regulation, why don't we just repeal the previous regulation? Now, uh, I'm, I'm sure not everybody agrees with me on this, but one of the things, one of the reasons why these tech companies get so big and are so powerful is because of government protections that they're given, which is, um, Patents specifically, a lot of these companies have, have a lot of strong patents so that a small startup, an upstart can't compete with them because they're not able to, they, they know that they're going to get sued out of existence from, a, from all the patents and also from copyright laws. So I think an ideal solution would be just to get rid of all these government monopoly protections as in patent law and copyright law. Um, so as you can tell, I'm, I'm against IP. I don't know if everybody agrees with me on that, but, but uh, other than maybe trademark, I think trademark, there may be some, uh, some, some, uh, use for trademark, but for patent and copyright, just to get rid of those. And now all of a sudden Microsoft doesn't have this huge monopoly on, on their software and that everything that they make is open source. So uh, what are your thoughts? Do you have any opinions on that? I do have an opinion on that. I am for IP and for copyright protections and patents. I think that when you take the time to invest into something, 
then you should be able to reap those rewards. I do think it gets a bit muddied because sometimes there, is, there are grants that are given to people, like there could be funding that's not totally private that goes into companies or organizations that they then use and it becomes their own property. So I am for intellectual property, but at the same time, it's always not always so clear cut. But that's just my opinion. Hi, uh, I wanted to talk a bit about the technology side of things. Um, the, uh, the gentleman over there, the lawyer, mentioned the issue of um, things sort of turning into the red light, or the, what do you call it, the warehouse district of Seattle. One thing that kind of isn't really mentioned uh, in these discussions uh, is spam. Like, uh, who's, who's looking out for the free, sp uh, the free speech or the spammers? Don't they deserve free speech, right? But if I mean, I, I work at a, a company that, uh, you know, has these issues and, I mean, I'm sure the deplatforming question is going to come up at some point. It's going to be very uncomfortable. But, um, but I mean, spammers, it's like out of the gate. We want to, you know, so there, there's that. So you have to draw a line somewhere, I think. And um, I think it's reasonable. So I'll say something slightly controversial, I suppose. I think it's uh, reasonable um, for people to want a platform that filters out things that they don't like. Um, and, um, sorry, am I going, oh, okay, still, I thought it was starting off for a second. Um, so what, what I wanted to, uh, I wanted to kind of put in a good word for, uh, you mentioned decentralized things. So I wanted to put in a good word for Mastodon. Now this is a little strange perhaps because they, the people there, um, they're, they're like to the left of Twitter because as we all know, Jack Dorsey is a Nazi sympathizer, which by the way, I'm not even joking, there are, there are literally people out there who believe this. Um, if you spend time on a lefty Twitter. Um, but the interesting thing about that is that you install your own instance, it's all open source. And you know they set their own content policies on each one and the instances talk to each other and they can decide what instances they connect to. So you know on the other side of things, there's, uh, what is it, uh, free, freespeechextremism.com or something like that. That's an, that's an instance of that as well. You can't see them, they don't talk to each other, but there are ones in the middle that talk to both of them. So you can kind of, there's something interesting happening there where you can kind of pick your, pick your poison, I guess. So I just wanted to put in a good word for that. I think that's a great idea. The only thing I would say that's not against it, but just to consider is that these platforms became really popular because so many people were attracted to them. And so even though you can have different instances where people can sort of stay in the filtered bubble that they would like to be in, they probably wouldn't go there because the platform isn't, so, isn't as popular as when everyone could go on there and say what they want. So that's the only thing I'd say, even though I think it's a good idea. Hi. Um, Hi. So you said that PayPal, PayPal removed you from PayPal and you were also demonetized on YouTube? Yes, but I recently turned it all off. And the demonetization also was kind of arbitrary. Like what I would consider my most controversial stuff wasn't demonetized and then others were and I had no idea how they were uh, applying the rules. But yes, I am. Okay. My question is, practically speaking, if you'll be willing to disclose, how did you deal with that? Did PayPal give you any money you had on their back? Like, what is advice you could give to someone who may have an account on Chase or may have a Visa credit card, may have a PayPal account? and then this happens, what do you do? Uh, I would say complain and let other people know about it so that they can loud it up on Twitter. But I just had to kind of take it because I 
couldn't really argue with them. You know, like I did, people, kind of famous people retweeted me on Twitter, so people knew about it. But I still had to wait to receive my funds after, I think it was 180 days, so I didn't get it back for a while. But I, I don't really leave, like I don't leave my money on PayPal, I don't leave my money on exchanges, like I'm not like that. So I didn't have much on there, but I did have a little bit and I just had to wait to get it back and I, I, they've never contacted me. It's, it's a bit ridiculous, like they've, they've, they haven't sent me any correspondence. Okay, but they're not just gonna take it from you? No. Well, like thankfully, that's good. Uh, I'm not sure how it is for other people, but I do think when you're using their service, then they kind of, they are the custodians of your money. So you, you just have to wait for them to follow the policy that they have for when they terminate an account, I guess. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Do you want to say that in the, in the mic so that people can hear? I didn't know that. Yeah, with PayPal has an exception with the funds for sex worker accounts. If you were caught using PayPal for a sex work, for sex work, your funds are then assumed, all of them in the account are assumed to be created through illicit funds and they do not return it to you. That sucks. That's, that's not good. Any more comments? I kind of have a question for the crowd if you guys, while you're thinking of more questions maybe. What do you think is going to happen? Like, where do you guys see this war ending with like more regulation or some new alternatives springing up and then in the future that turning into a whole authoritarian monster or an actual decentralized platform or what? I'm not really concerned. I think it's a short-term problem. Uh, but again, it's easy for me to say I don't really make my livelihood from content creation, but, um, um, but I don't really see it as a problem because once, once you get uh, censorship-resistant money like we have with Bitcoin, it's just, it's just not going to be an issue. People are going to be able to pay whoever they want, and they can right now. I mean, WikiLeaks is, is, an, is a perfect example. Um, um, they were deplatformed by Visa, MasterCard, and PayPal, and they just said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll accept uh, Bitcoin. And as much as uh, the government can track who's donated to them, they still can't stop it. And so in the long term, I don't really see this as a, a long-term problem. I just think it's a temporary problem. And also um, what you mentioned about IP, I really think um, that, IP, that in the age of the internet, IP is kind of a, an 18th and 19th century idea, which doesn't really apply in the information age. I just think that information is free. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come out and um, you know, you're not going to be able to uh, protect somebody um, or prevent somebody from using the internet, using a, a VPN to to download something they're not supposed to, they're going to be there's going to be a way to, to do it. So um, I just don't really think that uh, I think that we're automatically just through technology we're going to go to a phase where IP is going to be irrelevant and um, and trying to um, censor things uh, either information or money they're also going to be irrelevant. So I think the solution isn't going to be legal; it's going to be technological. That's that's what I think the uh, solution is going to be. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, as a uh, libertarian technologist who started a uh, group of uh, called Freedom Coders of uh, libertarian-oriented techies, uh, I think this is a humongous problem, and uh, I think it's scary if you're actually paying attention. So off the top of my head, I can name uh, a ton of groups who are decent folks who have banned off of not just um, YouTube and that sort of stuff, 
but how about GoFundMe? You have groups like the Proud Boys who are just, you know, uh, a fr you know fraternity, a drinking club, uh, and they were banned off of every single um, uh, funding platform like PayPal and things like this. And uh, uh, Ernesto, who is the leader of it, who's uh, I think a Dominican guy, uh, actually had his bank account seized, right? So you've got uh, things like the credit card companies who are pushing PayPal to shut down all of the funding platforms, including groups like uh, the American Legal Defense Fund and other groups that are raising money for people's legal defenses who are being persecuted. Uh, so it gets really, really scary. And uh, to this guy who says, oh, well, just Bitcoin. Well, hey, guess what? Um, Milo Yiannopoulos got banned off of Coinbase and literally nobody said anything. And so it's coming and, you know, uh, cryptocurrency isn't going to solve the problem because you guys didn't say a word when he got banned. So if, if you're paying attention, look at uh, gun groups. There are gun companies who literally just had their bank account shut down and can't get uh, a funding. And this is like a, a, a very critical thing that goes past just simple censorship. It's, it's Orwellian in nature, and I think it's something we have to deal with. And uh, I, I think you're not a libertarian if you're not uh, at, at least seeing the danger involved. Thanks. I agree that it's, it's very scary what's going on. I do want to point out, though, that Coinbase isn't Bitcoin. And so even though he was banned from Coinbase, you, like the Bitcoin network as a payment network is totally independent and, and can't really be banned. And I would also say that people can look to privacy coins when it comes to tracking um, sent inputs and outputs. And I don't want to get technical. Yeah. Uh, I I think you talked about this in your talk, maybe not, um, about people being banned. Um, I worked for a company um, that was uh, serving some of the WikiLeaks content um, when whatever they published that the government didn't like that week. Your uh, voice is kind of going out a little yeah, bit. Um, so one thing that the company noticed is they were getting pressure from government. They weren't getting pressure from private actors to say, no, don't serve their content. Don't forward the internet traffic. Don't relay email. So I'm just concerned if people want to create legal solutions or you know, politically motivated legal solutions that you may be giving the government more power that they're already trying to use um, to, to ban stuff like WikiLeaks and all these other platforms. So just be careful that you know, law's a two-edged sword here. Um, and we have real examples of you know, people getting legal, political, and you know, law enforcement pressure um, to not share this content already. And I think let's be careful not to give them any more uh, weapons in their arsenal. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I would also say that what I think law enforcement needs to do when it comes to these issues, because people do care about, say, someone doing incitement to violence on a site where they know that more controversial content is allowed, that they need to figure out how to do their jobs, even though the technology is changing rapidly. They must adapt rather than remove people's rights. That's how I see it personally. But thank you. Hello. Uh, Hello. So I think the way this is going to play out is there's going to be alternative platforms to share information on um, that people are going to be able to use. And I do think the cryptocurrencies, I'm actually not a big crypto guy myself, 
Um, but I do see the electronic payment method of being able to bypass banking systems and things like that. Um, more if more individuals are being deplatformed or not being able to use the banking system, they will use alternative currencies and that might grow the cryptocurrency space. Um, and so that might be more incentive for people to use it. And if it becomes more, uh, more widely used, um, it just grows in value. Uh, and as for the internet providers, I was always worried about um, them, go the government going to the main nodes in the internet um, system. Um, but it was really interesting listening to one of the talks uh, yesterday about mesh networks. And that is sort of their own internet um, solution. And that it, ends up being more localized, but maybe something can grow out of that where it can be more distributed. And I think that might be another way if government cracks down on central nodes in the current internet space. Of, uh, so that might be another way to bypass more censorship in that method. So I think it's all the technology can continue to grow in order to solve the solutions of censorship that we're running into. Okay, I didn't know about uh, mesh, mesh networks being an, a sort of decentralized form of internet. So, any more comments or questions from anybody? I don't think I have any more questions to ask you guys, so I think we're good. Thank you so much. I do want to say one more thing, if you could please give me a follow, Just Thinking Out Loud, you could go to my website, justthinkingoutloud.tv, or find my YouTube channel. I'm also on tons of other alternative platforms. Thank you, guys. <laughs>